If you remain standing, I'm going to read with you, and it should be on the screen, from 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'll read from verse 3 to the end of the chapter, but we'll be talking mainly from verse 11 onwards. This is the last of our series from 1 Timothy, basically because it's the end of the book. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. What I'd like to do is start at verse 11 and and talk about this whole process that, that Paul talks about here in this turning from something to something else. We mentioned last week that verse 6 where it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, being like Jesus is the aim of life. It is the gain that we have. It is what we get out of life and that should be our aim and our goal. Nothing else makes sense. And so Paul now brings through this passage a whole range of commands to help us to do that. And I've outlined, you'll be pleased to know, only about eight or nine of them. And we're going to go through them. The first of them is in verse 11. It's up on the board. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. The first word that I want to look at is this word, flee. Flee, run away. 
I thought, I, I don't know if you get this idea, but we as people tend to like pushing the limits. When we worked in Ethiopia, one of the fun things we used to do on holidays was we used to go hyena hunting. This is not with a gun. Outside of the, the little town where we went for holidays, there was an abattoir and they used to throw the carcasses just out on the street because it's easier. A uh, bit of a health risk, but it used to draw all of the hyenas in. So if you wanted to go and look at hyenas as a family and get as close as you could to them, you would go out to where they were munching on all these carcasses. And what our family used to do, um, I have to be honest, probably led more by me than Sylvia, we would get out of our four-wheel drive when we got close and see how close we could get to the feeding hyenas before they turned and growled at us. So we would kind of start, you know, 10 metres away and kind of kids and I still used to sit in the car, sometimes she got out, and we'd kind of sneak up and you might get five metres away before a hyena, which is this high, would turn and look at you and start to growl. The thing is to stand fairly still, wait till it turns back and then you can take another small step forward. <laughs> How dumb is that? Put your hand up if you think that's about the dumbest thing you've ever done in your life. That's really stupid. Why did we do it? It was fun. My kids used to sit on top of the land cruiser and make pig noises to see if they could attract the hyenas to come closer. They make squeal noises or little lammy type sounds to see if the hyenas would growl more when we got closer. Really stupid. And yet, I find that that is not so much different as how we live life, in, particularly as Christian people. There's an enormous amount with what Paul has just said to Timothy of things that we as Christian people are to have nothing to do with. We're to not have anything to do with sin, with pride, with wrong doctrine, with temptation, with greed. I don't know what that is for you. Something that's out there that you know you shouldn't do. And what we do is, we don't necessarily want to do it, but we want to get as close as we possibly can and see how close we can get without actually sinning. Or we stay close to the edge. I'm a driver, I like driving fast. I hold a couple of land speed records in Ethiopia for how fast you can go between one place and another. Pushing the limit squealing around the edges. It's a dumb way to live when you're doing it on a road and it's a dumb way to live when you're doing it with hyenas and it's a dumb way to live when there are, are, are dangers out there and yet for some strange reason we as Christian people do it in our everyday life. We don't run away from danger and this is Paul's first command. He says flee. Flee. Don't try and get close to those temptations. Don't try and get close to whatever it is. Run away from it. If you know you have a problem in a particular area, don't push the limits. If you know you struggle with pornography, don't surf the net. Don't walk into news agents. Don't watch certain types of shows. If you know that you constantly eat too much, don't go to KFC or Macca's. Don't do buffets. Right? If you know you spend too much money, don't have a credit card. All those areas where we get tempted to sin, to do things which don't bring glory to God, Paul says, flee. Run away from. 
second half of that verse gives the, the next thing. He says, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. He's not saying, flee this and everything's cool. You know, we might go through a particular week and say, I haven't sinned. I'm holy. I've been sitting on watching television. I haven't been angry with anybody. I'm pure. That's, that's not what we're called to. We're called to move from something to something else. It's not just a matter of not doing stuff. There's stuff we have to do as Christian people. Paul outlines six of them here. Righteousness. Not only do we flee as Christian people being unrighteous and ungodly behaviour, we're supposed to pursue being righteous. It's something we're actively supposed to seek to be, to be godly people, godliness like Jesus. It's something that we, in our decision-making, are actively working hard to be like Christ. This is what we're supposed to be running after. Faith in situations. What is God wanting me to do here? What does the Scripture say about this? How am I supposed to respond to this? Love. How can I love my wife? How can I love my children? How can I love my next door neighbour? These are things that we should be seeking and searching after. It should be our passion. Love is not welcomed in our society. To be actually honest with you, if you are a loving, godly, gentle person in our society, people look at you as if you must be some sort of pervert. If you're kind to people, you're a bit odd. You know, I say good morning to my people when I meet them walking down the street and they just look at me. And they kind of take a step back. I'm not sure if it's the ponytail, but they kind of think, what, what's with you? You say, thank you. And how's your day been? And whatever and you kind of conversation, they kind of think, well, what do you want? I don't want anything. I just want to find out how you are. Why? Be friendly. Give them a good smile. They think you're odd. We are supposed to be seeking after love. In some ways, I think the next one is the one that we really need to focus on as Christian people, and that's endurance. Keep on keeping on. I think in some ways, as, as a church in the 20th century, this is where we fall down. We understand that there's a law out there to follow. We know that we're supposed to wear, what would Jesus do, bracelets. Right? We understand we're supposed to understand the scriptures and put it in practice. We know we're supposed to love people, but how long is it supposed to last? And we're pretty good at this. We, we know what we're supposed to do, but how long do we do it for? We've read the Bible for a week daily and we think we've done a good job. We might not read it for the next three or four weeks, but for that time we were spot on. I hope my mum never listens to this tape, but she probably will. She's been on a diet for about 40 years. And she sticks religiously to that diet at least three or four hours a day. But at the end of that, enduring for that period of time, you kind of deserve a bit of a break, right? Or you endure your budgeting until you've saved up a certain amount, so you might as well splurge it because, hey, it's been tough, right? And we're in that sort of society where as long as we push it out for a little bit, we can reward ourselves. Paul says we're supposed to pursue endurance. 
The Christian life is not something that peters out after a little while. It keeps going on and on and on. We start a Bible reading habit. It's not supposed to be for a month or a week. It's supposed to be for a lifetime. Lots of Christian people have read Genesis. They've got up to about chapter 12. And then they kind of die out. Or they've got through Genesis and Exodus and then you hit Leviticus and it's like, good grief. They've read Matthew, that's it, John. But you hit any of those other books and it's like, there's got to be something better than this. And we stop. And we don't keep enduring. We say we'll pray for someone. And we do for a day or two days. And then we kind of peter out. And we look back and say, I did it. Paul says, no. Called upon to endure and pursue gentleness. Let's move on. He then says in verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight. The next, and the next one. Okay. A couple of things about this. Firstly, it's the good fight. We've grown up in a society where fighting's bad, right? You're not supposed to fight. Sorry. Christians are supposed to fight. A good fight. Doesn't mean you pick fights, but if you're going to do it, win them. <laughs> We're not called upon as Christian people to be losers in this. This is a battle of turning from something and pursuing something. It's, it's, if you like, at the beginning he says, man of God. And this is, of course, man of God, do these things. It's also women of God, do... That's probably not right. Do these things. <laughs> All right? That's what you're supposed to be like. It's a tough thing. And it's supposed to be a good fight. Understand, it is not the opposite of love to fight. Mark Driscoll says, in fact, for everybody's information, the best lovers are the fighters. In other words, you really hold something with enough value that you're prepared to stand up for it. My kids are in danger. I care for them. I hold them with value. I will go and fight for them to protect them. My wife's in danger and I love her and I care for her. I will go and fight to protect her. If we love the church, then we're prepared to fight to protect it. If we love the gospel, if we love the name of Christ, if we love these things, then we stand up and we fight for them. We don't fight each other for them. The Bible speaks that there is a fight that we have against the world that which is out there which is against Christ, which is attacking us. Daryl talked about that this, this morning. When we stand up for Christ, we get attacked. We're supposed to stand up back against that and to fight. Not to dialogue with them. Not to tolerate that. Not to accept that. But to stand up against it. To fight it. To fight the flesh. That which is in us and that which is in the world which is constantly trying to pull us away from God. We fight that. 
We don't go back and forth with it and say, well, hey, we're just in this little cycle of our life at the moment. And the devil is out there roaring against us. We fight the good fight. So we're supposed to flee. We're supposed to pursue. We're supposed to fight. The rest of that verse says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. How long are we supposed to do this fight for? How long do we keep going for? Next slide, please. All right. Next one after that too. I'm going to skip a bit of reading here. Moving on. One more. Keep. Keep going. How long do we have to keep going for it? In that reading, and you, you heard it beforehand, he says that we're supposed to keep going until we see Jesus. Again, I suppose he's getting back here to endurance, but how long do we keep up this good fight? How long do we keep going for as Christian people? How long do we persevere in this fight for? We don't stop. We endure. We keep going until we see Christ. He talks about Christ's return here. If he comes back while we're still alive, then in some senses we can stop doing the fight, then it's all over. If not, then we keep doing it till we're dead and we see Christ after that. If neither of those two events have happened in your life as a Christian person, you have no right to give up. You have no right to stop enduring and you have no right to take a backward step from what's going on against you. Push on. Keep going. Take hold of the eternal life that you have to which you were called when you made your good confession in the sight of God who gives life to everything. I charge to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is when we do it too. We keep going. That's tough. That's hard. And a lot of people, I think, struggle with this. They kind of say, well, just hold on a second. I really, I mean to do the right thing. You know, I want to. I've got all these intentions of, of living. You know, I, I, I made a commitment to follow God. It's not enough. You notice in all of this, it's not enough to have the good intention. It's to be able to do it. That's what he says, you've got to keep on keeping on. It's not enough to say, look, I want to do this. Keep doing it until you see Jesus. Endure. Push it through. Persevere. People come and they say, look, the church is full of hypocrites. And to be honest with you, they're right. They are. The church is full of hypocrites. We don't want any more. Why is it? Because we have all these great intentions. We say this is what we want to do. We want to evangelize. Well, I think the word was bum, wasn't it? Get your bum off the seat and go and evangelize. It's no good having a desire to tell people if you don't tell people. The question comes back, if you actually don't do it, what was your desire? I desire to keep thin, but I desire Tim Tams even more than I desire to keep thin. 
So it doesn't matter how much I desire to keep thin, if my desire for Tim Tams is greater than my desire to keep thin, I ain't going to get thin unless I don't eat anything else. Can you live on Tim Tams? I don't know. The double coat ones, I think you probably could. But it's like that in life. What are we going to push through for? I desire to read my scriptures. I'm busy. What does that mean? It means that this is more important than that. I don't really have a desire to read my scriptures if I'll do this or this or this instead of reading my scriptures. I desire to love my spouse. But then I don't. But I had a a good intention of doing so. I meant to. Let me give you a hint, guys, if if you're about to get married or you're newly married. The old guys who are married already know this. Don't say I meant to do it to your wife. Like, I thought you were going to do this. I meant to. It doesn't hold any water. It doesn't win any brownie points. Did you do the dishes? I meant to. doesn't work. If it doesn't work with your spouse, and it doesn't work with your parents, what do you think it works with God? You rock up on the judgment day and he says, look, I sent you out there as a, as a follower of mine to witness to people. And you say, I meant to, Lord, I really did. Nothing's going to happen. He's going to say, do I look stupid? Did you read the scriptures? Well, I meant to. None of that works. So he says here, keep on. Don't stop. You have the good idea, do it. Carry it through. I'm just as bad at at this. There's lots of things that I plan to do and I don't get them done. When it comes to following Jesus, Paul says to Timothy, keep on. How long do you keep on going? Till he comes. Go through a hardship, keep on. Go through a joy, keep on. Change in circumstances, keep on. None of this changes till you see Jesus face to face. You've been a Christian for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, keep going. Old people these days, sometimes not the ones here I hope, when they reach a certain age they stop doing ministry. They retire, they move away, they have a break. Keep going, endure, keep pushing, keep evangelising, keep stepping out, keep reading the scriptures, keep learning, keep praying till you see Jesus face to face. If you die before he comes, then you'll see him and he can say, well done. If you don't, you'll meet him in the air and he can say, well done. At that time, you can stop keeping on because you've now got your inheritance. Verse 15. Which God will bring about in his own time. That's the coming of Jesus. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Why do we keep pressing on? Because he's giving us a hint here that what we need to do is to honour Christ. His honour is where we're aiming for. If he is Lord, King, maker of all things, then pleasing him, serving him is what we're made to do. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In our individualistic society, we've stopped worrying about that. In fact, we've moved away from it. We are actually taught 
in our world that the most important person in your life is? You. You can't actually, in our society, love someone unless you love yourself first. Self-actualization, self-realization, self-worth, self-fulfillment is what you're aiming for. The scriptures say, you can love because he loved you. Your worth is that you're a child of his. He, as Lord, fulfills all things. His lordship and his honour is what our aim is. It's not us. And this is to be our benchmark for living says Paul. You're looking at what you want to do. He says, flee from that. Run to that. Why? Because he's king. Bible study a few weeks ago, one of the comments that was made was the fact that when we make decisions in life, this is to be our cutting edge, if you like. You've got two choices before you. Which one brings Christ honour? That's the one you do. Because that's the one that directs you. Lord, should I go out with this girl? She doesn't love you, but I love you. Does this bring you honour or not? No, it doesn't. It's an easy answer to that question. Lord, watching this television program, me as a Christian people, everybody looking on, does this bring you honour? If it does, watch it. If it doesn't, don't. If I go to this place, if I do this, if I take this job... One of the missionaries that was in Ethiopia with us used to have a job as an arms salesperson in Europe. She worked with the French government, I think, selling arms around the world and she became a Christian. And after a number of years she had to work out, is this the sort of job which glorifies Jesus? And her conclusion was, no, that's not the sort of job which glorifies Christ. So she had to change job. She had to give up her promotion because she said that doesn't praise the Lord, being an arms dealer. You'd think, right? But we have so many decisions to make each day and Paul says, honour. Verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Next slide, please. Command. This is the tough one for us, isn't it, I think, particularly in our society. Paul's not really giving the Christian, or he's not giving Timothy an option here. He's not saying, look, what I want you to do is to sit down with these folk and discuss with them which is going to bring about the, the best result for them in their life and set them to work that issue through with you. He's not saying, look, sit down with the false teachers and have a dialogue with them and say, what is the best way that we can resolve this situation so that we can be unified? 
He's not saying, look, what we need to do is to have a difference of opinion that we recognise and let's share those opinions so that we all have a voice and we're all heard. And then we can work together to come to a common position to move forward. He says, no, command. Command people that this is the attitude that they're supposed to have. This is something we Christian people have to understand about the scriptures. They command us to live in a particular way. And here he lays it particularly on money and goods and what we gain and get out of life. But I think we have to understand this is broader than that. This command thing is something we as Christian people are supposed to understand. What does he say to Timothy? He says, look, command those people who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Who's rich in this present world? The rest of you put your hands up. You are. Uh, if you've got your hand down, you don't understand this present world. In this present world, you have a place to live. You have food. You're wearing clothes. You're rich in this present world. He says, tell them not to be arrogant and put their hope in that world. Tell them not to be arrogant and put their hope in that world. If you have a car, you're in the top 8% of the world's population in terms of wealth. If you bought a cup of coffee, if you bought soup today, you spent more than many people earn in a day. You're rich. He's not talking about wealth here and saying it's bad, but what he's saying is command those people who are rich not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in riches. We're not going to spend a lot of time going into this, but pretty much what he's saying is you've got to put aside all those things upon which you depend and trust in God. Wealth is so attractive to people. Riches are so attractive. Our society has actually in some ways moved beyond it because we're so wealthy. Power prestige, privilege, all these things are things we try and put our hope in. Even on top of wealth, we're so wealthy. He says, we as Christian people are not to be arrogant. We are not to put our hope in that and say, we have this, we're okay. He says, that's nothing. Put your hope in God. Everything that he has given you he has given you for your enjoyment. There's nothing wrong necessarily with having it. It's there because he's given it to you. Don't think it's yours. God's given it to you. What does he say? He says, command them to do good. His emphasis here with what God has given them to enjoy themselves, get them to do good. He goes on to talk about being generous. Let them use that which he's given you for good deeds, for those who haven't, for sharing the gospel, for reaching out to friends, etc., etc. He says, command this. It's not an option. It's not if you want it, do it. If you're holding it all in for yourself and you think, hey, I've arrived, look at me. He says, I'm sorry. You, Timothy, command those people not to be like that. Put your hope in God. Why? Because in this way, 
they will lay up treasure in heaven. All of this is disappearing. You know how much you get to take with you when you die? Nothing. Come in naked, go out naked. We talked about that last week. Well, they dress you up now, but you still go out naked. Right? You take nothing with you. I did have a joke, but I won't tell you the joke. <laughs> we'll leave it to later. Uh, it wasn't that funny anyways. Next verse, please, verse 20. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Guard it. It's part of this fight thing. He's just carrying on a little bit of this same idea. If you have been given this stuff from God, and if he has given it into your care, and there's a whole range of things you can have. He's given the truth to Timothy to preach. Christ has been given to us that we're to share. The church has been given us to encourage and equip one another. Our families have been given to us. Our jobs have been given to us. All these things are gifts from God for us to benefit the world and to benefit us. And he says, guard it. Fight for it. Care for it. Look after it. Don't allow yourself to be swayed by the world around you so that you give up that which is important for that which is unimportant. Live like I've asked you to live, says Paul. Live the way Christ has told you to live, that all these things might be kept safe. Next verse. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. Turn, firstly, from godless chatter. Half the conversations that, I don't know about you, half the conversations I listen to, you kind of think, well, that was not much good. Just talk radio will do it for me. You know, listening to that, godless chatter. But it's more than that, if you like. Sometimes I listen to people as they explain what they want to live like for God. But they've told me 10 times beforehand, 15 times beforehand, I want to witness for Jesus. But that's what they said yesterday and that's what they said the previous time and that's what they said the previous time and that's what they said the previous time. And I kind of come to the conclusion, maybe it's just chatter. I think God's in it, but God's not in it because nothing changes. They talk about following Jesus and then their life isn't changed. Godless chatter. Chit-chatting with our neighbours about mundane things. When we have serious issues, we can talk about with them. He says, turn away from that. He's also talking about turn away from those godless talkings when you're arguing over little insignificant points instead of getting down to the nuts and bolts of the gospel of Christ. He says, turn away from all of that. Turn away from opposing ideas, which is falsely called knowledge. Rushing hither and thither to find truth. We find that as we listen to the world lots of times. They come up with this really good idea and people believe it, so we go along with them. This is how you're supposed to discipline your children. This is how you're supposed to be tolerant of people who speak against Jesus. This is how you're supposed to spend your money. This is how you're supposed to love your spouse. This is what submission does to you. And we hear all of this sort of stuff. And he says, no, turn away from that. 
If you hear the stuff out there which is against the gospel of Jesus, which is against the truth of the scriptures, don't enter into the dialogue. People say, well, then I won't understand that stuff. True, you won't. I don't know what it is about us. I think it's getting back to that same thing. We like to push the edges. Kids are stupid, really, if you think about it. I mean, if they listened to what parents had to say, they would survive more and they wouldn't. People tell me that you have to go through the bad experience so you can learn it. That's what the world says we have to do. I have to do the bad thing so that I know it's bad. That's just dumb. I knew a young guy, we were teaching in Ethiopia, who had been told and told and told not to put things in light sockets. But he did it. Why? Because he said, I didn't know that I believed anybody. So he just zapped, got thrown backwards across the room. Idiot. But we do the same thing. Don't have a relationship with somebody who's not a follower of Jesus, says the Lord. But we do it anyways. Don't lust after someone who's not your spouse because that ruins your relationship. It doesn't bring honour to God, but we do it anyways. And for some strange reason, we think that if we go into all of these sorts of things, we're going to learn. You need to understand this idea so you can truly understand the scriptures. Nah. This is the word of God. It doesn't mean we're supposed to be ignoramuses. But it means this is truth. And God says, don't listen to that rubbish. Don't listen to it. Don't do that. Don't do it. It's easy. And yet we struggle with that. Lastly, he says, turn from that to grace. Application. A little bit different application tonight. have a sheet for you. I'm going to give you about three minutes to fill it in. Right, I'm going to get some helpers to come out and hand these out. It's even in colour, so it's really cute, right? First thing it says is flee. And what I want you to do is write down one thing you need to flee from this week. I want you to think through your life and think what is one thing that I'm attracted to that I have to flee Every Christian person should have something that they know they have to flee, to stay away from. It then says, pursue. And I want you to write down one thing that you need to pursue this week. Don't write down ten things. Think of one thing saying, this is what I need to follow after. It might be godliness, it might be faith, it might be endurance, or it might be something even more specific. I want you to write down. Fight. (laughs) Name one habit you need to form. This is my application here. I want you to think of one habit you need to form that will help you to fight the good fight. Keep. I want one thing that you think you need to persevere in this week that maybe you're struggling with persevering in. Reading the scriptures, having pure thoughts, talking lovingly with your partner, whatever it is. Honour. I want one thing that you need to give Christ more honour in. One thing you say, I'm going to give Christ more honour in this this week. I haven't honoured him in that like I should have. I'm going to do that. Command. I want one thing that you are going to be more generous with that God has given you. 
that you're not going to hold, that you're going to give. God, name one thing that God has given into your care that you can think about and say, I'm going to look after this, I'm going to care for this. Maybe it's an aspect of truth, maybe it's a member of your family, maybe it's something like that. All right? That's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you about three minutes to do that, then I'm going to close in prayer. All right? So if I can have some helpers, can you hand them out there? Yeah, you can do that. You want to hand some out on that side, Kylie? Just pass them out. If you need a pen, we come prepared. I'm an ex-teacher. All right. If you've got a pen, get a pen out. If you don't have a pen, raise your hands. And we'll get some people to drop some around for you. Who's a good? You're a likely lad. Here, go and hand that to people who got their hands up. Who's on this side is happy to hand out pens? Can you hand some out to anyone who's got their hand up? Great. You can go and hand those out to see if anyone's got their hands up. Put your hand out if you don't have a pen. These guys will drop them off to you. And there's more, so don't get lost. Any more pens needed? Yep, we've got some more papers. Let's have some of them. Yeah, they can have some. I'll let you hand out. Oh, there's not enough.
Uh, or some of you might like some more time afterwards to fill that in. I encourage you to do something practical. The Christian life is one which is practical. We're to learn how to be Christians. We're to learn how to follow Jesus. Paul's given some good practical advice here. Let me just close in prayer, encouraging the Lord to bless us in our endeavours. Father God, as we've come and we've had a look at your word this evening, there is so much that it teaches us about living a life that is pleasing to you. Father, I pray for people who have written down things that they might be committed to seeking how it is that they might serve you in these ways. Father, I pray that we might flee those things that we need to, to run away from areas where we might be tempted not to follow you with all our heart and soul and strength and mind, to run away. Father, I pray that we might pursue after a life that is pleasing to Christ and that looks like Christ's. Father, I pray that each of us might grab hold of one thing that we might say, this is what I want to be like, Lord. In this week, I pray that you will give them the strength to do that one thing. Help us to fight. Fight the good fight by forming habits that are pleasing to you, of reading our scriptures, of praying, of loving our family. Help us to keep on, to be enduring followers of Christ. Father, we want one day to see you, but until that time, help us to live for you. I pray that you might give people strength in whatever area it is that they need to persevere in. Father, help each of us to give you honour in every area of our life. But Father, we know that that will take a lifetime to develop all of that in our lives. So I pray that you will encourage each of us this week, at least in one area, to find some way where we can give you and glorify you even more than we have at the moment. Father, help us to be generous with the wonderful things that you've given us. Help us not to be arrogant and holding on to our things, but to have hope in Christ. Father, I pray that we will guard, guard the truth, guard the church, guard our families, guard our ministries, guard the opportunities that we have to serve you. Father, help us to care for them and to look after them and to entrust them to your care also. Father, we pray that you'll help us to turn away from all of the unrighteous living and unrighteous thought and godless chatter that constantly is tempting us and pulling us away from you and help us to turn to grace, the grace that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray all of these things for your Son's glory. Amen.